Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Welter, and today I bring you an interview with jazz musician David White from 2011, right before his debut album Flashpoint was released. Hope you enjoy. As far as the album, I, I could not be happier with how it turned out. I was I was extremely pleased with how it turned out. I told uh, my friend Omar, who plays sax in my band, that it felt like you know my whole life was on the line, like playing like playing the solos. It felt like this is your whole life ahead of you, uh, and it it turned out great. I honestly I I don't think I've ever played as well. I don't think I've ever played the trombone as well as I did on that day. And luckily, it's captured on tape. I'm not sure if I can live up to the standard that I've set for myself for my own plan. But I, I could not be more pleased with how it turned out. What do you want the listener to get out of the new album? Someone listening to the CD, I first started writing music uh, when I was in college, which was in many ways a, a sad and lonely time. And I wanted to write music. I wanted to orchestrate my music in such a way that it would feel like an embrace. So I figured uh, if I, I feel this way, I feel all alone in the world, I feel isolated and lost, but if I can put a chord together that makes me feel warm and embraced, then that's what I'm going to do with my music. And that's, I don't, I don't feel I'm not in that sort of dark place now anymore, but that's still sort of the purpose of what I want to do with music. I want people to hear what I'm doing and to feel that there's someone who there's someone else in the world who who uh, is a, a kindred spirit with them someone else who understands or someone that they could talk to uh, just I just want people to hear my music and feel that they're not alone and maybe that's maybe that's very very dark but that's sort of why I started writing to comfort myself through my own music so I hope that now that I'm at the stage where I'm sending my music out into the world, I hope people can hear it and feel comforted in some way. What are some of the influences that you have that can currently be found in your music? I think I'm, I'm very much influenced by, influenced rather by classical music, symphonic music. I think as, as a trombonist, uh, in a symphony orchestra, we we often have ridiculous amounts of rest. For you'll you'll look at your part and there'll be a, 180 measures of rest. So obviously you're not going to sit there and count one, two, three, four, 184 times. It forces you to listen to the overall structure of the music to hear where your entrance is going to be. So that was very good training for me as far as hearing the bigger concepts of what was going on in a piece of music, hearing how one movement moved to another, how one section interacted with another section. All of this, I'm, I'm sitting there during my 180 measures of rest looking at the score, because obviously you don't want to tap 182, 2, 3, 4, and then come in. That would be, that's just too hard. So the easier way to come make your entrance is to hear, okay, I hear where this theme has been repeated in the violins, then it's picked up by the cello, and here the brass is coming back in. So 
it forces you to analyze the music in a way that maybe perhaps I don't want to speak for them but perhaps the violins don't necessarily have to analyze an orchestral piece while they're playing it in order to perform it they could since they're pretty much continuously playing they could just play but in the brass section I think part of orchestral performance is analysis and Ed, when I became a composer I think that served me very well and I've tried to apply that concept to the jazz orchestra. Uh, I think the jazz orchestra is just as rich and colorful as a symphony orchestra. So what I want to do with my music is to make it symphonic. I want to use as many of the possibilities, many, as many as the color combinations. I want to use form, structures, momentum in the same way that uh, someone like Mahler would. I, I don't want to compare myself to Mahler, that would be sacrilege. But those are these are the people who I looked up to and who have influenced my music. And I think that's something that perhaps is a little bit different from what you might expect when you see a 17-piece big band. You might expect something else. But that's that's what's influenced the the different type of thinking that I apply to my music. What role did uh, friends and family play in recording this album? Friends and family, oh, I, it would be—it would literally be impossible uh, it, without the the tremendous support from my family and friends. I, I've been completely and totally overwhelmed by the people who have come forth to support me. My family, my church, my friends. I mean, so many people have reached out and to give me a word of encouragement, to give me a word of encouragement and a check, which is even better. And it, it would be, it would not have been possible without them. Maybe it would be possible ten years from now if I like saved up every bit of money. But it would not be possible to have the recording that you have in your hands now without the, the support from my mother, my my family and friends. My, my teachers, my, my very first trombone teacher, Dennis Moore, uh, wrote me a, a, a beautiful letter saying how, how proud he was of me and everything that I'm doing and just you know blessed me with a, with a donation towards the, the project. And you know my eighth grade English teacher, Miss Tiffany, who's asked me to call her Suzanne. She said, I'm grown now, I have to call her Suzanne. It still feels weird, but Suzanne, it, it just, I mean, who, who, how, how do these people even remember me? Like, hi, I was in your class in 1991. I have a CD coming out. Wanna, wanna contribute to it? And like, I just, I, I'm, I'm completely blown away by the, the level of support. I, I, I did not expect anywhere near the, the, the outpouring of love that I've received. It was very, very touching. Even if there wasn't a CD, it, it would be worth it. Just just uh, to connect with people like that. How did you pick the studio that you recorded Flashpoint at? I, when I was uh, setting up the recording this past summer, uh, I looked at all of the uh, similar ensembles, big bands that were located in New York, and I looked at all of their recordings in the past five years, and I went through the line of notes and found out where each of them had recorded. Then I contacted all of those studios and requested a quote. And uh, 
one of them that came back that was reasonable, that had adequate space, that was still in business, uh, was Skyline Studios. And I saw that John Fedchak, who's uh, one of the world, literally one of the world's best trombonists and literally one of the best big band writers in the world, he had recorded two of his recent albums there. So I, I said, if it's good enough for John Fedchak, it, it's good enough for Dave White. And that's how I chose that particular studio. Are there any musicians in particular that influenced your musical writing style? I would say in terms of influences, uh, Eric Satie, who's one of my favorite composers, his music just has so much subtlety and, and, and touch. It's, it's, it's gorgeous, gorgeous music. Uh, I try to incorporate that into my music in my own way. I, I love Eric Satie. I think uh, Maria Schneider, of course, who is the person who, whose music inspired me to start writing. When I first heard her music, it, it, was, it completely... It's like hearing her for the first time was like everything that you thought you knew about the world was wrong and there's suddenly a whole new world of possibilities that opened up to you. It was like, I don't know, it was like, it was like passing through some barrier and like realizing that the world is much bigger than you ever imagined. That's how I felt from like literally the first five seconds that I heard her music. I, I remember I was sitting in my dorm in Crossroads at Purchase and I, I put it on the headphones and that, that literally changed my, I use the word literally a lot, I apologize, but that literally changed my life uh, those this first few seconds. I, I just, life was, life has not been diff the same since I, I first heard her music. It just, it just made me feel like there were so many possibilities in music and in life and there's so many things that are, are beautiful and wonderful that you can and should strive for that five minutes ago I wasn't aware of. It was an epiphany. It, it, was, it was wonderful. Tell me a little bit about the members of your band. The members of the band, I think the core of the band are people I've known for a very long time who are my colleagues from Purchase. Uh, for example, Steve Plekin, Mike Irwin. Uh, these, are, these are people who, I mean, we lived in the dorms together. I remember a professor of mine, uh, Todd Kuhlman, who would always tell the class, you know, your career has already begun. These are the connections that you're making now that will shape your career and the impression that you make upon people now will affect you 20 years from now when you're in the professional arena. And that's been completely true. Uh, people who I met at orientation at Purchase College are now in my orchestra performing on this disc, and, which I'm, I'm very honored that they're on it. Other people I, I met along the way and other people were recommended to me. And I think, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm blown away by the, the level of talent and I'm completely flattered that I have such, I'm, I'm flattered that such talented people would agree to play my music. I, I'm very, I'm very humbled by that and I, I, I love those guys. I feel like that's, that's, that's another family. That's another family. My orchestra, the David White Orchestra is, is like a family. I think a, a band in a certain sense performs more of a function than just the music. It's also, 
I don't, I don't want to keep saying family, but it performs a social function for people to reconnect. You might not have seen your friends that you play with in between the time, our performances, and this is your time to reconnect and come together. And all of that's reflected in the music. When you've, when you've known someone for uh, 10 years and you've played with them and they're your best friend, well, when you play together in the sax section, then it's going to sound a certain way. It's going to sound different than if you were playing with a stranger. I think that that energy goes into the music itself. And as an arranger, a composer, I, I want to capture that and use it to propel the music forward. So I think the cohesiveness of the ensemble is not just due to what's written on the paper, but it's also the connection between the members and the members of the orchestra have a, a tremendous connection with each other, and I'm, I'm just humbled to be a part of that. Tell me about how your website helps you and fans of your music connect with each other. Well, I really, I really want, I don't want to just like say, oh, here's my music, listen to it. I want there to be a, a dialogue. I want to feel, like when I listen to, if I, when I listen to Kind of Blue, I feel like I've just had a conversation with Miles and Cannonball and Train. Like they're in my living room and I'm discussing something with them. And I want there to be the same thing with what I'm doing, except that I'm obviously still alive and you can literally discuss things with me. Uh, I want there to be a, a conversation. I want there to be a, a global conversation of what music is and its place in our world and its place in our lives and how we feel about it and how it makes us feel and it, how it opens up our eyes. A friend of mine uh, said to me recently that we're living in the spiritual dark ages and as artists and musicians, it's our role to, to shine a light on these dark times. And I think one of the ways that I endeavor to do that is through using music to connect people to each other. And so as far as my, my online uh, presence, I, I, really, I really hope to hear from people. I hope to engage people in conversations. I hope that people share music that's been meaningful to them with me and vice versa. I, I don't want it just to be an artifact on a shelf. I want it to be a living, breathing document of what life is like right now. And then in a couple of years when we record the next one, uh, there'll be a document going forward of like, okay, this is how life was in 2011. Then what happened in the world? How is that change reflected in the next one? We'll see, okay, 2013, something else happened. And then if you look back over time, I want there to be a whole unfolding of, of a, a tapestry, a, a whole tapestry of sound that reflects what life was like at the time that it was recorded. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to just play charts and play the trombone. That's not my goal. That's not the purpose of this. I, I really want to use music as a force for connection between human beings on a spiritual level. What was it that made you play the trombone from the beginning? I started playing the trombone at an age where your teachers choose instruments for you. 
I, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, Colin Doria, was in music class before me, and he was very excited about it, and I, I decided to try out for music, and he played trumpet, so uh, I asked if I could play trumpet also, but then uh, later my teacher, who's a, a brilliant teacher, a brilliant educator by the name of Eleanor Grabowski, she said, you know, David, I feel that you know, I think you can play trumpet if you if you would like. I think that you could go even further if we switched you over to the trombone. I think that you, your your talents are a little bit. Who, I mean, who thinks about this when they're in sixth grade? But this is how she articulated it to me. She said, you know, I think you can go even further if you switch over to trombone. And and she was right. I, I don't I don't know if I ever would have been a, a good trumpet player. I, I assume if you can play one brass instrument, you would be at least functional on all of them. But I, I it turned out I, I loved the trombone. I took it home every day. And there was a and which which is not easy to do uh, in the winter in Buffalo, New York, carrying a trombone at home every day. That's not the most fun thing in the world. But I I, I did it and I loved it. I, I still love that. Uh, I just love the sound of the trombone. I just love how warm and, and rich it is and the emotional range of it that it's able to produce. And it's uh, one of my favorite sounds in the world. How has playing live in New York City helped your music? I think to make a, to make a cinematic reference, sometimes movies or TV shows that are shot in New York City, they say New York City itself is the character in the scene. And I think that's true in music also in a, in a more subtle way. I think the energy, the flow of the city, its harshness at times, the different cultures, the different people, the interactions, all of that's reflected in your music. That's why Music, music, musicians and music from New York, you, you can tell if you put on a record, okay, that's a New York band, or these are New York musicians. Playing live was, was in invaluable. I think someone, someone uh, told me that, you know, David, you look like you're, you're, you're listening a lot, and I am, because performing live, you have to make decisions about the energy level of the band, is the band going in the right direction, do you need to prod them more, do you need to pull them back, do you need to add a solo here, do you need to truncate a solo, do you need to change the order of the songs, and what I'm doing on stage is listening very closely, but also, I don't want to sound new agey, but I'm like opening myself up to the energy of the orchestra and of the audience and trying to coordinate them. So it's been invaluable to me in putting together this recording to know how different people sound on different selections on which song should be in it, which songs should not, which songs go together, which songs create a cohesive whole that forms a complete thought. And without performing frequently as we did prior to the recording, it, it would not be possible for me to know that. It, it wouldn't be possible to get uh, songs done in one or two takes if we hadn't been playing them over and over and over again, working everything out. I think when I, when I put something on paper, that's what I imagine 
but then when someone in the orchestra plays it, they have their own set of life experiences that they bring to it. What I'm really looking for from the orchestra is to take my idea and then combine it with the individual life experiences of the person playing it. And then the third way, the, the third thing that comes from the combination of those two is what the song really is. That's why it, sh it should be personal. That's why it can't be duplicated with, you know, no offense to my colleagues use electronics. But when someone has spent their whole life pouring their life into what a saxophone sounds like, that's not something that can be duplicated. And if you take the life force of them putting their whole life into how a reed vibrates and goes through a piece of metal, and then combine that with the life force of music that came from an imagination, the, the combination is incredibly potent. It, it, it's incredibly powerful. And I'm sometimes overwhelmed by just listening to the music back. Because there's something, there's something special and spiritual and very personal about that. And I think people can sense that in the audience, even if they're not even if they're not able to articulate exactly what it is. I think that's what makes the music compelling, is that it's just your experience as a human being here on Earth filtered through sound, which, which is incredibly moving. And I think, so to come back to my original point, I think that's what that's the influence of the band on each other, the interaction between composer and performer, and that's what I'm listening for at all times. And that only gets worked out through performance. It, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when you experiment with something, and I'm always opening, open to people experimenting in the band. I, I'm not a band leader who yells at people for for trying something new. I want you to try something new. I want you to come up with something that's better than what I had thought of originally. But you need that experience performing in front of an audience, seeing how human beings react to what you're doing as a human being. And then it's only because we have that experience playing gigs and shows that we were able to put all of that onto the recording itself. So is your band performing anytime soon? We, our next performance is going to be at Symphony Space, which is at 95th and Broadway here in New York City. It's a beautiful, it's a gorgeous concert hall. We're going to be in the Leonard Nimoy Thalia, which is the smaller of the two halls that they have at Symphony Space. And that's going to be on May 27th, 2011, 8.30 p.m. And I'm going to provide comp tickets for all of my Kickstarter backers. By the time you see this, you will have already passed, so I'm not sure why I'm mentioning that. You can't know this. Although maybe this will keep me honest, and I don't want it to be in the DVD, and then you say, hey, Dave, you never copped my ticket. Maybe now, now I have to. It's on tape. Kickstarter backers are comped. God bless you. I thank you so much. I want you to come. Here's a free ticket on me. But that is going to be our next performance. I want to have a series of performances beyond that. I don't want to play before then. That's going to be the, the time where we start this whole new phase in our career. But uh, 
The 27th of May. It's a big day. I'm calling it the CD release celebration. It, it, it seemed inappropriate to call it a party since it's in a concert hall. Technically, it's not. I guess I could I could call it whatever I want. I'm the producer of it, but I, I called it the CD release celebration because I'm just I want to celebrate the fact that this CD that I imagined a year ago is now a physical thing that you can hold in your hand that contains a recording of music that I created, which I, I can't believe that such a thing exists, but it does, and I want to celebrate that. Thanks for joining us on the special Throwback Podcast. We'll be hearing from David White on a future episode, and he'll let us know what he's been up to. Mm-hmm.